One comment about fall praise last Sunday night. Um, it was awesome. God has placed lots and lots of talented people in our church family. Amen? And as I was looking up there, except for just, uh, I think I counted five musicians that don't regularly participate with us, everybody up there was just part of our family. I just think that's awesome. God has given you many, many gifts. I pray that you will use them for Him. And uh, so, just reminded of that. I ask you to take your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. When you get there, you can go to verse 10. I'll join you there in just a minute. If you're using that pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1,351. Philippians chapter 4. We'll stand and read God's Word here in just a moment. I was reminded this week that um, what kind of learner I am. You know, we all learn in different ways. I am what I have determined over the years, an auditory learner. I like hearing things. And then I'm also a linguistic learner. I like writing things. And when I hear them, they sort of imprint themselves in my mind and in my heart. And when I write them, they do the same thing. And that's the kind of learner that I am. And that was probably portrayed a lot. I was a freshman in college back in the 80s. Yep, I'm that old. Freshman in college, and I had a biology class. And I walked into the bookstore. Yeah, you used to go buy books in a bookstore. And... The worst day of the year was when you had to go buy those books. Best day of the year is when you went back to the bookstore, gave them back to them, they give you like 30% of your money back. And you never told your parents you got that money back. But I got this, went to see this biology book, and it was big and thick. And I'm an, I was an accounting major, and I'm going, I'm not reading that book. And there's no way I'm going to give them $150 for that book just so they can give me $40 back when it's over. I'm not reading that book, so I didn't buy it. But I went to biology class because I understood that if I would hear everything he said, and if I would take good notes, that I would be fine. Because I knew how I learned, and I also knew that I wasn't going to read that biology book. Now, parents are going, you're just undoing how I'm trying to train my college student right now. I'm sorry. But I had to learn that way. And... There are many ways that we learn things. There are seven learning styles. There's visual. You prefer pictures, images, and spatial understanding. There's auditory, which I mentioned is just what you, you prefer hearing, whether that be through sound or music. And the office staff can tell you that when I'm writing my sermons, my door is closed, my music is on, it is loud, and the only person who can hear me talk is nobody I can't even hear myself talk half the time when I'm in there. Music just, it gives me space to think. There's verbal, you, using words, both in speech and writing. There's physical, you prefer using your body or your hands or your sense of touch. You know people who learn this way. There's logical, logic, reasoning, systems, that's called mathematical learner. There's the social or the interpersonal, you prefer to learn in groups or with other people. And then there's solitary or intrapersonal. You prefer to work alone and study and only learn by yourself. 
Your learning styles have more influence than you may realize. They guide what you do, how you think, and how you learn. And with that background of learning, I want to ask you to stand with me as we read from Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 10 to 13. See, I've engaged you with your Bible, so if you're a physical learner, there you are, or we're getting ready to read it out loud, there you are, or you're getting ready to follow along with me, there you are. I mean, there's lots of ways we're getting ready to learn together. Let's read God's Word. Philippians chapter 4, picking up in verse 10, says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am, to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Keep scripture open. Get your notes ready. You may be seated. We're going to spend a little bit of time in God's Word starting right here. I will mention some other places and we will summarize some other scriptures. But you'll want to keep your scripture open right there. Now, Paul is writing to the Philippian church, and he says in verse 10, I rejoiced. Paul takes a moment right here in this verse to thank the Philippian church for their care for him. Paul is not in Philippi any longer. He founded that church. It's been about 10 years ago. He has gone other places, but the Philippian church has continued in times past, as we see here, to support and encourage him. But it seems as though what we read right here is that the Philippian church, while they had helped him in the past for one reason or another, they had stopped helping him for a period of time. Now, some conjecture as to why they may have stopped helping him was maybe they themselves lacked the resources to give away because of their own individual challenges. Perhaps they just lost track of Paul as he made his way from, to Rome and from Rome and now finds himself in prison. Or perhaps some of the challenges of division and dissension within the congregation in the church at Philippi had caused them to lose their focus just a little bit, and Paul in helping that ministry was one of them. You see, in the book of Philippians, Paul writes to the church, and he tries to help them overcome some of their challenges within people that they have faced. And we're not going there today, but just understanding that that background is there. But now, they have provided a great gift of encouragement to Paul that was delivered through the visit, and we are told in Scripture, by a man by the name of Epaphroditus. And Paul was glad to see that not only did they give, but they took advantage of the opportunity, and they still had concern for him. You know many times that if we are not seeking God fully, we may have the opportunity to help, but we may lack concern. And if you lack concern, it's not about an opportunity anymore. It's, just, it's a heart issue. Um, the Philippian church had both opportunity and concern. Proverbs 3.27 says this, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in the, in the power of your hand to do so. Now, church, let me just stop before we even dive into the core of what God's Word is teaching us or desires to teach us this morning. 
Let me ask you this question. Is God calling you to do something? To go somewhere? To say something? To give something? Let me ask you just two questions, and you can just take this little checklist in your heart. Do you have concern for the lost? Do you have a concern? See, if you do not have a concern for the lost, then you will not do anything else. Because without a concern, you don't need opportunity because you're not going to take advantage of it. First question, do you have concern for the lost? Number two, do you have opportunity to help? Do you have an opportunity to help? Because if you have a concern and you have the opportunity to do something you need to do it. Now, I don't know what God is laying upon your heart either before you walked in here or what he's pointing out to you right now. But if I'm you, I'd make a little note right now what the Spirit of God is telling you that you might need to say, do, give, go. However, write that down because if God's giving you concern and opportunity, you need to do it. Let me give you an example. This shoebox. I met this week with the regional director of Samaritan's Purse. We had a great time. Part of, the, part of the reason we had a great time is we were talking about a great subject, and that is not shoeboxes. We're talking about a great subject, which is Jesus. Part of the other thing we had a good time is we had a great opportunity to talk about what we, First Baptist, can do with Samaritan's Purse in the future. And I can't wait after the first of the year, as I mentioned to you, to share more with you about opportunity here. The third thing that made it a really good visit is we met at Duncan in Murfreesboro, you know, just to be fair, and, 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 and met things like this. But we discussed strategies. Church today, in Samaritan's Purse's world, this is not a shoebox. This is the gospel. When you take a box, when you create a box, when you put a box of information in there, when you ship this and send this box out to the world, this box is going to go to a child someplace who will then have the opportunity to hear the gospel. And so I'm reminded, church, do you have concern for those that are lost? Do you have opportunity Best I could tell, Kenny, we got a great stack of opportunities sitting right out there in the atrium right now. I didn't measure it, but there's probably that many boxes. That's probably close to 100. Maybe today you want to take advantage of your opportunity to really show forth your concern. That's just an example, and you're going, Jeff, you're just trying to get more boxes out there. Yeah. More boxes out equals more gospel to kids equals more kids coming to know Jesus. And so, yeah, I'm unashamedly saying, yeah, grab a box, do a box. Let's share the gospel, opportunity and concern. So Paul goes on in verse 10. He says, I rejoice in the Lord. Now, while it is the Philippian church that has done the giving, Paul understands that the source of all good that has come from that is the Lord. You see, it is God who moved on the Philippian believers, and it is the, them that responded to God's movement in their lives. God moving. Now, this just makes me think, when I hear about God moving, I wanted to revisit something. I know I've shared this before, but this topic is worth sharing again. 
I want to speak for just a moment on the providence of God. You know, we've learned a lot through Job about so many of God's characteristics and things like that. So I wanted to talk about the providence of God. Providence is a combination of two Latin words, pro-video. Pro-video. Pro meaning before, video meaning to see. So providence simply means God sees it beforehand. Now, it does not mean that God just knows it. Providence is much, much more than that. God sees to it. In God's providence, he brings it about. Providence is the working of God in advance to arrange circumstances and situations for the fulfilling of his purposes. Let me give you an example this week. We had fall festival Tuesday night. Cool opportunity on a cool fall night where God brought people to our campus and some of them wrote on a card, here's my name, here's where I live, and we gave them an opportunity. Do you have a church home? No. Well, that's like inviting me over, right? That's like asking you to do something. And they came and they, they did this. But if you're here today, or if you're online with us today, and you're here because of that event, I want you to know that it is God's providence that has been at work, that has brought you to First Baptist Church's parking lot on Tuesday night. It is God who brought us to a point of doing it, brought the volunteers, brought all of this. You came. It's God who saw through the outreaching of the letters, both sent by me and then sent by you, church, as a number of you sent letters uh, at, uh, at the request of the church. And if you're here today, it is not, well, we just decided we'd come. No, it is the providence of God that has been at work seeing to it, pro video, that you are here. I just think that that is awesome, the way that God brings about his plans and purposes. An example from the Bible would be Joseph, for example. If you were to go to Genesis, and we're not, I'm just going to summarize for you. But Genesis 37 through Genesis 50, we get to study about uh, Joseph. And we know a lot about Joseph. Joseph's brothers envied him, and they sold him into slavery when he was 17. Joseph was taken into Egypt, where God revealed seven years of famine were coming after seven years of plenty. We know Joseph spent time, got in trouble in Potiphar's house for doing nothing wrong. He spent time in prison. He helped people there. And God used Joseph's ability to interpret dreams and to make known to Pharaoh that there's going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Pro video, God knows because he sees to it. God says, I'm looking 14 years, Joseph, into the future. I know and am bringing this about. And then, as part of the story, after 20 years of being separated from his brothers, going through all of those things that Joseph went through, he's reunited with his brothers. And in Genesis 45, 5, Joseph, in talking to his brothers, said, uh, God sent me before you to preserve life. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, as he's talking to his brothers, he says, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. God can and does use everything to draw us to him, the providence of God. 
That's the providence of God. I like this definition. His hand ruling and overruling the affairs of life. Our God has purposes for you. And Paul knew that his life was in the hand of God. And Paul knew that God knew how to take care of Paul. God may be seeking to use you to bring about his providence for your life or for someone else's. The providence of God, I think that's a good backdrop we need to work on. God's word speaks of many gifts that he gives to us. And, and you probably have already started naming some gifts that God has given to you. And I don't want to go toward those gifts, even though that's a great reminder. I have seen in scripture that there are at least three things that we're not given. There are three things that we at least have to learn. Learned traits. If you were to go to Romans chapter 5, verse 3, you would see a statement that says, tribulation produces perseverance. We learn perseverance by going through tribulation. Learn. Romans 5, 4, it says, and perseverance brings character. We learn character. And then in today's scripture, we see another thing that we learn. If you'll go back and look, Paul says in verse 11, he said, for I have learned. You know what's cool about that? The word learned means I have been instructed. It's a really cool definition I found too. It means this. I have been initiated into the secret. That's cool. God is always working to bring about his fullness in our lives. And Paul had learned from experience. He had learned the lesson. Bit by bit, test by test, circumstance by circumstance, he persevered through the lower things until he finally graduated. Now, we could go to Scripture where Paul talks about, I've been beaten this many times, and I've been stoned, and I've been shipwrecked, and I've been jailed, and I've been all these things. And Paul is at a point in his life, in Philippians, toward the end of his life, where he says, I have now learned. I have allowed God to use all of his providence, all of his activities to bring me to a point where I have now learned. Can I just share with you that you are never too old to learn? Now, you need to learn your learning style, but you are never too old to learn. I'll also tell you that you're never too young to learn. I've had parents come to me, and they're going, my five-year-old says that they're ready to trust Christ. And maybe they're too young. That may not be true. If the Word of God is moving and working in their life, and the Spirit of God is working in their life, a person at the age of five can come to honestly, truly know Jesus. We had this conversation in our family when our, young, when our oldest was five. And he said, Daddy, I want to come to know Jesus at five. And he's just been a house of fire ever since. We can learn and age, whether it be young or whether it be old or in between. We're never too old or young to learn. And Paul talks about this. And this secret initiated into the secret. The secret was, Paul, if this was a summary, I can say, he said, I have made my way up through the degrees of progressive detachment from the things of the world. 
its comforts and its discomforts alike, and I have finally reached maturity on this point. I know the secret. Circumstances can never touch me again. Paul had learned to let go of the world, and he learned that by grabbing a hold of Jesus. Now, this image is coming into my mind, and I know years ago I probably used this, but I believe that the world and Jesus are far apart from each other. We tend to think that maybe we can have a hold of the world and a hold of Jesus and be able to successfully walk life having hands on both. I just don't believe that is biblically accurate nor true. I believe that the world and Jesus are just far enough apart that you'll not be able to have both of them in your hands at the same time. You are going to have to either choose the world, which will cost you Jesus, because you won't be able to reach it. Or you're going to grab a hold of Jesus, and that's going to cost you your attachment to the world. And Paul has said, I have learned to let go of the world and to grab a hold of Jesus. You see, Paul had been a Christian for about 30 years at this time when he was writing this letter, yet he was still growing, still maturing in his relationship and fellowship with his Savior. He was still learning and seeing that much of his learning had come through the experiences that he had gone through, the providence of God. Verse 11, Paul goes on to say, in whatever state... Paul says in all circumstances, in all things, he was able to adapt and adjust. He would accept and embrace. Paul had been raised in great riches and opportunity younger in his life, but now he experienced hunger, pain, and going without. Paul did know what it meant to be all of these things, but God's Word is going to show us something in just a minute that I think can change how we see this. Here's a question that I would encourage you to think about for a second. What's more difficult to deal with, plenty or poverty? Just think about that for a second. You see, Paul says, I've learned and I've learned. What's harder? You could go, well, man, when you don't have anything, it's impossible, it's hard. But yet I could tell you story after story about people who had everything, who had nothing. And so it's interesting. Here's the answer biblically. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 and 9, answering this question, what's more difficult to deal with, plenty or poverty? Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9 says, Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food you allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Did you see what in the Proverbs it's written there that our challenge is not what's harder to have or to not have. The challenge is, is finding out how to grab a hold of Jesus with or without. The common answer is finding Jesus. It's not about having. It's not about not having. Paul told us that he has learned that it is only about Jesus. That's a great, great point to get to. 
You see, Paul has learned to keep his mind on one thing. Now, if you have your scripture open to Philippians chapter 4, and if your Bible is anything like mine, Philippians chapter 3 is right there. Look at Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 12 to 16. Philippians 3, 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching toward those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Paul had learned to let go of the world so that he could grab a hold of Jesus because you can't have them both. Verse 11, back to chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now church, this content word is a really cool word. Contentment is not. Let me just make sure, because you see, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of never being satisfied. I told you we had 1,459 boxes, and they're going, Jeff, who counts that? I do. So our goal this year should be at least 1,460, right? It just makes sense. Why would we ever go backwards? And you're going, Jeff, you're never satisfied. Maybe. Maybe not. But the thing we've got to figure out is that this word content in Scripture is not complacency. It's not giving up or not caring. It's not settling for something. So many times when we hear the word content, if we don't use it correctly and understand it correctly, we'll think that content is, I'm just sitting down and waiting for everything just to happen. That's not what content means. Content actually means this word. If you're a note taker, you're going to want to write this word down. The word content means contained. C-O-N-T-A. I-N-E-D, contained. Now let's talk about that for just a second. It is a description of a man whose resources are contained within him so that he does not have to depend upon outward resources, outward substitutes. The Greek word could mean adequate, adequate satisfied, or self-sufficient. Paul was convinced that Christ who lived in him, contained, lived in him, led him, guided him, loved him, died for him, was in the middle of everything Paul was in. Paul got to that point of believing that. His confidence was in an all-sufficient God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. I don't know where you're finding your value. I don't know where you're finding your purpose and your drive today. But I'm here to tell you that the Apostle Paul and God's Word and the Spirit of God are going to lead you to putting all in your life on Jesus. 
Not on poverty, not on too much, not on things that we could go after. But to be content from what is contained in you. You can only be content when you have learned to trust God's providence. One has to find contentment this way. Christian contentment is the God-given ability to be satisfied with the loving provision of God in any and every situation. Romans 8, 28 says it pretty good too. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 12, Paul goes on, he says, not only have I learned to be content, he said, I know how to be abased, which is brought low. I know how to abound, which is raised up. Verse 12 goes on to say, everywhere and in all things. Now, this is where I had to spend, that was weird, I had to spend a little bit of time studying because I knew there was something here, and and I can't tell you that I have figured this out for you. I can tell you that I am figuring it out for me And I'm going to share it with you, and we'll see how the Spirit of God and the Word of God work in your heart. But catch this. Paul is not saying he has learned how to act when things are bad. Paul is not saying, I have learned how to act when things are good. Even though learning how to act when things are good and how to act when things are bad is a pretty important thing. Paul is not going to simplify this word of God message to us by saying, I have learned how to behave. Do you know, learning how to behave is not a heart change. You guys get that, right? When you encourage your children, encourage, to behave, you're trying to get them to stop doing something. And if they behave, we back off. But that doesn't show that they've understood at all what you were trying to teach them. It just meant from an outward perspective, they have... And Paul's not going to let us off that easy when he says, I've, I've learned to be content. It goes a little bit deeper than this. Paul is saying that everywhere and in all things... Now read the scriptures. I have learned... Notice this one word. Both. Verse 12, everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Paul has learned to be both, how to be both abound and to suffer need. That word both is pretty cool. So is the word and. Paul has learned to do two things in every situation. I've learned how to be full and how to be hungry. Not how to be full or how to be hungry. Church, the words of God are important. And when you say the word both, and then you include the word and, Paul is saying, I've learned how to do two things at one time. Let's talk about that for just a second. Paul has learned to view everywhere he is and everything that happens through Jesus. It's interesting. When you walk in, you say, I have learned how to be raised up and how to be lowered down. And you're going, Jeff, that's a choice. No, it's not a choice. You know, in every situation, 
we try to either raise ourselves up or to change our situation. And when we do those things, we're actually pushing back against the providence of God. Paul has said that I have learned how to view every situation I find myself as a purposeful choice of God for my life. And I don't think about it being high, and I don't think about it being low. I think about it being Jesus. Church, that's a dynamic way that God can change my heart and your heart when we begin to view our circumstances as a choice. Paul said, I've learned. I'm not going to go high and I'm not going to go low. I'm going to go Jesus every single time. Every single time. Paul has learned to allow Jesus to carry him through every circumstance. And you notice, remember that, that image I gave you earlier about the world is here and Jesus is here and, and many times people try to grab a hold of both because it works out life that way. They think that works out. Actually, that makes life miserable. But they're too far apart and so you have to hold on. If you're going to have Jesus, you've got to have Jesus, all Jesus, two-handed Jesus. You know what the world can't do when you're two-handed Jesus? It can't reach you either. You guys get the spiritual truth right there? When you're all Jesus, he's all you. He'll take care. And Paul has said, I have learned how to let both hands grab a hold of Jesus. And Jesus will take care of the rest. That's a pretty important thing. Now, Paul goes on in verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is one of the most known verses in the book of Philippians and perhaps one of the most known verses in all of Scripture. But we, church, we have to keep it in context. You see, this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, comes from the context of having learned. Comes from the context of trusting in the providence of God comes from the context of learning how to be content. Comes from one who chases one thing and one thing only, that is Jesus. And Paul says, because I've learned, because I trust the providence of God, because he's helped me to be content, because he is the one and only thing that I will grab a hold of and choose, I can do all things through Christ. When you read that verse all by itself, it becomes a bumper sticker. It becomes a, a piece of art. But when you keep it in the context and you personalize it as to what Paul had to go through or what you will have to go through in order to get to a point of being content, trusting God, that's not a bumper sticker at all. That is a life lesson that unlocks many, many things that God wants for you in life. I can do all things through drugs? No. Through education? No. Through money? No. Through success? No. Through my friends or my family? No. Through positive perspective and outlook? No. And doing everything for myself? No. Nothing, church, nothing else fits. Nothing will strengthen you other than 
Jesus. Paul says, I can do all things through Jesus. J.B. Phillips has said, I am ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives within me. Because I am content or because of the one who loves me is contained in me, I can do everything that he has for me. Amen? The Living Bible says it this way. I can do everything God asks me to with the help of Christ. He'll give me the strength and the power to do it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work. And think this simple thing right here. Wrap it up this way. Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want I will never want if I learn how to be content, contained with the one that is in me. But the other side of that is, is that if Jesus, if the Holy Spirit of God is not in you because you've yet to accept Jesus as your Savior, you're not going to be content. And you're trying hard. You've tried hard to be content. I know I tried hard to be content before I lived my life for Christ. I haven't got it all figured out yet, but I've learned every time I have tried to find contentment in something other than Him, I've wished I hadn't. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, this contentment, it's available to you, but you do not yet have it. But if you are here today and you claim Jesus as Savior, and you're not content... And I'll trust that the Word of God and the Spirit of God will flesh that out in your own life, what your lack of contentment is. If you're not content, then you have a relationship problem with the Lord that you need to look into. Perhaps you have a fellowship problem instead that you are saved, but you've just, you just keep stretching for the world to grab a hold of it. I'm just here to tell you, you will not be able to have both. If you have your hand on the world, you cannot have your other hand on Jesus. They just don't work that way. One final example. This will be your homework. If you want to go back and read this, John chapter 4. We're not going there, but just write that down. John chapter 4 is the story of the woman at the well. And Jesus, in verse 4 of John chapter 4, said that we need to leave here and we need to go through Samaria. And we could have a whole lesson on to why Samaria and why not Samaria, but we're not really pushing on that. But I'll summarize the verses. Jesus is left alone at this well. Scripture tells us that all of the disciples went into town. Jesus was alone at the well. It was noon, the heat of the day. A woman came to get water, and Jesus initiated a conversation with her. Now let me read John chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water, meaning the water in the well, will thirst again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And I'm going to read the next verse. But did you catch that, what that said right there? For what I give him will become. Church, that's learning. Verse 15, and the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. You know what that woman said? She said, I'm not content. I'm not content with the way my life has to be lived. I'm not content with the way I've lived my life before now. And what you're offering me sounds great. And Jesus explained who he was, his purpose. And Scripture leads us to believe that she comes to know and trust Jesus. She runs to town. And she brings the town back. And her topic is, she said, you need to come. Here a man who told me everything about myself. Do you know why Jesus knew everything about her? The providence of God. He said, I must go here. He's basically saying, I have an appointment at noon at that well. She wasn't content. Her whole life clearly marked it. Church, you get a choice right now. Don't make the easy, oh, I don't even think about it. No, allow yourself to think about this. Are you content? Are you content? Paul said, I have learned to grab Jesus and only Jesus, and therefore I am content. Church, contentment doesn't come from this. Contentment, by definition, comes from what's contained in you. And it is my prayer that it is Jesus. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Church, can I ask you, do you trust the providence of God? Are you still growing, maturing, learning in your relationship with God? Are you content? Do you recognize that every need in your life can only be met by Jesus?